This is episode 88 with the Director of Research and Performance at Athletic Lab, a lead instructor at USA Track and Field, and a consultant to nearly every major professional sport, Dr. Mike Young. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. This is Jason Fitzgerald, the head coach of Strength Running, and I'm excited to bring you one of the most accomplished and internationally recognized experts in the field of performance and sports science today, Dr. Mike Young. He has degrees in exercise physiology, coaching science, and biomechanics, and has also published multiple peer-reviewed journal articles, and he's usually flying around the world, presenting to conferences and consulting with sports teams in the NFL, PGA, MLB, MLS, and NHL. Those are a lot of acronyms. And today we're discussing two really fascinating topics for runners, Metcon workouts and whether or not runners should lift with machines or free weights. There are quite a few shades of gray here and unique situations to consider when talking about machines versus free weights. So I hope this conversation sheds light on this issue and prevents people from just dogmatically thinking that they can only lift with free weights. And as for Metcon workouts, these are high-intensity circuits, and they should be used strategically, intelligently, and only when you're ready. Mike and I are going to discuss how to structure and plan these sessions in more detail, so if you do want to attempt a Metcon, you know how to get started. I also want to make a quick note that while we don't have a formal podcast sponsor today, we've released a brand new strength program designed specifically for runners that I hope you'll check out. You can get started for free at strengthrunning.com strength, and you'll get all the details. I'm really proud of it, and I'm also excited to hear how you're going to feel after just a couple months of strength training. And if you've been listening to our podcast for a while, you know that I don't even like to call lifting cross-training. It's just part of the training that runners must do to improve, just like long runs, recovery runs, or fast workouts. Head on over to strengthrunning.com strength to sign up for free. Now, without further ado, please welcome my guest, Dr. Mike Young. Dr. Mike Young, welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. Thank you for having me on again. I appreciate it. Yeah, so I wanted to say thank you at first. You have now come on the show twice. You have contributed uh, to a previously published article on our website, and you're always so quick to share your expertise. So thanks so much for just being available and being so passionate about coaching education. I always learn so much from our conversations. Thank you. I appreciate it. And thanks for uh, hosting, putting together such a great podcast. All right, Mike, we are going to talk about two different topics today, metabolic conditioning workouts for endurance runners and strength training machines. Let's start with the former, metabolic conditioning. I think as runners, we understand this to be a series of repetitions on the track or a similar workout, like a fart, like for example. But you know, you were recently interviewed about this and have something very different in mind. Can you talk more about what you mean by a metabolic conditioning or Metcon workout? Sure. So the, the term Metcon has kind of been popularized by the CrossFit community. Uh, I don't think they actually have ownership of it. It's something that has been in existence for a long time in several different communities, ranging from wrestling to track and field and rowing and, uh, you know, even cycling. But basically what we're looking at here is doing metabolic conditioning, typically geared towards uh, the anaerobic glycolytic energy system or ener energy pathway. Uh, this can be targeted in a handful of ways, either through 
higher intensity, medium term uh, duration work or through interval type training, both of which should be familiar to uh, runners or cyclists or swimmers. But the idea behind what is commonly known as Metcon training would be that it incorporates a variety of different training modalities outside of just your standard uh, single task like running, cycling, or swimming. Uh, using things like body weight training, maybe plyometrics, possibly running, cycling, uh, and certainly uh, the use of weights is has been popularized uh, for conditioning in the CrossFit community. So this sounds like almost like a runner would be very familiar with a track workout, uh, very metabolically demanding workout. But now we're essentially doing a, a similar type of workout, except instead of running repetitions on the track or out on the road, we're instead using other types of exercise to increase our heart rate and improve our metabolic conditioning. Is that right? And could you maybe give us an example or two so that we can really uh, formalize this in our heads? Sure. So that's that's pretty much a, a good summary of met, metabolic conditioning training or Metcon training. Uh, in terms of a couple examples, really, because we're opening up the modes of training to just beyond single mode training, like running, cycling, or rowing, you now have limitless opportunities or different ways that you could put together these various pieces. There is some some kind of secrets of the puzzle, I guess, to, to make it work because not all modes are equivalent to each other. And now that we're working things like upper and lower body and pushing and pulling in the same workout, there is some magic that needs to be uh, involved or considered when you're putting together these workouts. So it's not just uh, uh, smashing your body, but there you're putting together things intelligently. But some sample ones, uh, the way that I tend to think about it would be doing something that is uh, continuous but medium term. So, for example, a really common one in in CrossFit might be a workout called uh, Fran, which is 21 reps of a thruster, 21 pull-ups, tw 15 reps of a thruster, 15 pull-ups, nine reps of a thruster, uh, nine pull-ups, and you'd complete that as quickly as possible. Your average time for something like that would be about five minutes with the fastest people completing it in as short as two minutes if you're a CrossFit Games competitor. And a lot of people, you know, really feeling like they're pushing pretty hard and still finishing at around 10 minutes. So that two to 10 minute mark there puts you right inside the window of the anaer anaerobic glycolytic window, uh, where its heart rate is pretty well maxed or close to it. Uh, your effort level is sustained and the duration is in that two to 10 minute range. So just outside of uh, the intensity that we could sustain for longer than that aerobically um, and, and shorter duration, but a much higher intensity. Another way you could do it, obviously, is interval style. So you could, for example, do something like five squats at a certain weight followed by a certain number of burpees or, or a certain distance on the rowing machine. And then you get you do that on a two-minute interval and whatever your balance of the rest that it took to complete that one subset is, you have as your recovery period until you repeat it. So for example, we could do five times uh, five squats with body weight, uh, five pull-ups, 
and 250 meter row on a three minute interval. It might take you a minute to a minute and a half to complete those three different exercise segments, meaning you'd get about a minute to a minute and a half of recovery, and then you'd repeat it for five, six, five, six times. So it's very similar in terms of the timeframes and even the intensities associated with running, cycling, rowing workouts, swimming workouts. Uh, but the difference here, again, is that we're using multimodal training. And one of the things that is a little bit unique is, in particular, with relation to running, is that we're now using the entire body. So, for example, one of the things with uh, run training is that you get very little training stimulus to the upper extremity. And the upper extremity makes up, you know, a little under half your body mass. Uh, so we're effectively leaving out an opportunity to, to condition um, both in terms of strength and metabolic effect and even the cardiovascular impact by removing that. You know, certain things like swimming and rowing, uh, they have a pretty big upper body contribution, but others like um, cycling and running are almost exclusively lower body. So by using these different modalities, different training methods with the same principles associated with standard running training, uh, you can see some additional benefits. Let me play the role of devil's advocate here for a moment. It sounds like these Metcon workouts are uh, obviously giving you a great metabolic training stimulus. Uh, but since we're using other training modalities like for example, uh, strength training movements, then we're also getting some, some strength benefits out of these kinds of sessions as well. Would we as runners be better off doing either a track workout for more sports-specific metabolic conditioning or getting in the weight room and, and working a little bit on more traditional uh, strength or power uh, type of a workout? Is, is combining them almost like getting in one mediocre workout rather than two great workouts? How do you justify that and think about that? So that's a great point. And to be honest, if I had uh, some, uh, a person who was looking to compete at a high level as a runner and I had limited time to spend in the gym, or maybe even if I had limited time to train, I really needed to maximize every hour, minute of training that I had. I would I would polarize my training a little bit more. So for example, my run training would be very specifically running, uh, obviously catered towards my running distance, whatever, whatever distance that is. And then in the weight room, I would typically do things that are more speed and power oriented, speed, strength, power oriented. So I would do uh, explosive jump squats and heavier squats and deadlifts and that kind of thing and train the, train the core under a resistance load. Um, if I had a little bit more time, I think it would be valuable to perhaps intersperse some Metcon conditioning. Um, and then where I think it really comes, becomes valuable is if you want to switch things up. So we're not necessarily looking for maximize performance, but maybe we need a mental break. We're trying to switch things up a little bit and, and, or we are trying to recovery from an injury, perhaps an overuse injury. Now that's where these Metcon workouts can be really useful because they can be a, a reasonable substitute for the level of conditioning that you couldn't get if you were unable to do the run training.
Um, you know, I think that's that's really where I would be most inclined to use them for competitive runners. If you're a recreational runner, then you're going to see you're going to get a little bit of best of both worlds. But part of best of both worlds is that you get uh, a compromise. You're not getting you're not getting the most distinct benefit that you could get from the from the weight room, and you're likewise. Uh, probably having to compromise a little bit on your run training. So as with all things, it's a little bit of a balance in terms of how and when you include these various elements to training. Uh, But I wouldn't so much look at it as uh, that you have to do Metcon. It should just be looked at as it's a tool in your toolbox that you pull out when it's appropriate. If you need a mental break, if you need a physical break, if you're overcoming an injury, it's a great way of staying at a high level of conditioning, um, even if you can't do your specific activity. The one thing that I that I uh, like to think of when I'm considering all forms of training is where's the overlap? What what transfers over to training? What transfers over to our specific end goal? And with something like a, a Metcon in terms of uh, how it would be classically defined in the CrossFit community, I think you are going to see some benefits, right? It's almost think of it as a Venn diagram, right? There's going to be a significant contribution there where there's, there's overlap. Uh, The overall energetic pathways will be stressed very similarly. But what we see is that even if we're working in the same heart rate range and we're working with roughly the same muscles, there's not going to be, the most direct transfer of training as there would be if we just ran. You you never get better at something uh, more efficiently than you would by doing the very thing that you want to get better at. So with regards to Metcon workouts, you can add them in and it will have significant crossover with run training and it will have significant crossover to strength training but there's also this gray area where it is neither of either of those two things. So if we wanted to get better at true speed and power, then we would do more traditional heavier or faster strength training with significant rest and recovery in between sets, maximizing intent on every single repetition. If we wanted to get better at aerobic conditioning, we would probably do our specific sport because we know that even with regards to energetics, that the movement pattern involved is very important. You can ask any cyclist who's ever tried to run a 5k or vice versa, that that it doesn't have a complete carryover, no matter how energetically efficient you are, aerobically uh, efficient you are. There, There is some specificity of that conditioning. Um, and, but with uh, Metcon conditioning, you have a crossover to both the strength element and as well as the uh, conditioning element. So, I, you know, if I had to choose, I would do my run training and I would do my uh, speed power traditional weight room work. But I think it's nice, especially at certain points of the year when you need to freshen up, maybe you need a mental break, maybe you need to take some some time off of your or mileage off your legs to throw in some, some conditioning. And, uh, 
I guess one thing that I haven't touched on would be that uh, that type of training produces the same type of runner's high that many many runners are familiar with um, and 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 seek right. And there's a be- there's benefits to that. So the endocrine boost, the the uh, the benefits in terms of well-being and uh, the social aspect of it can also be there. You know, so there are these other aspects that are similar to like run club essentially from doing from doing metcon uh where you know you get the runners high you get the uh the the feeling of discomfort and satisfaction that you accomplish something and sometimes those aren't things that you would get in traditional weight room work um you know knowing that you left and left left this training session and you put it all out there or you were exhausted can be a very satisfying feeling that many people, especially runners seem to seem to like and take confidence from. Yeah, for sure. I think every runner knows that feeling and, uh, chases after that feeling pun intended there. Uh, <laughs> and I right. think too, um, you know, what, what you're describing here with these Metcon workouts is that they're, they're often, um, not nearly as as physically demanding in terms of the abuse your body might experience when you're doing a similar type of effort uh, when you're just doing running. So the strength training, uh, if you're incorporating any kind of cycling or rowing, perhaps they're almost safer ways of getting a very high intensity workout without the wear and tear and impact of running. And I think that's a, a an interesting way of looking at it. You know, Mike, as I was preparing for this, I wanted to ask you, you know, why might someone want to incorporate these workouts into their training program? And I'm starting to think that a more accurate question would be, uh, who are the types of runners that would stand to benefit from these workouts? And and, uh, I'm just trying to understand this correctly. It sounds like it's runners who are coming back from an injury, uh, runners who uh, maybe are feeling a little bit mentally burned out from their training and they want to try something new. Is that fair? Or do you see this more as a, 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 a way to get away from formal running training, but at the same time still get in a lot of benefit that's specific to your sport? Yeah, that's that's a pretty accurate description. I don't think it has to be exclusive to that. If somebody really wanted to get in the you know, a Metcon or two in a week, that's fine. Uh, I think there would be some benefit to it. Uh, perhaps you could remove a interval style workout and replace it with uh, a Metcon, an interval style Metcon. Uh, but yeah, I think those would probably be my first choices for, for where to use them. One of the other things I, I didn't really mention that would be of concern with a a higher level athlete in particular, someone who's really performance oriented in terms of their running is that sometimes what we see is with these Metcon workouts is that part of the benefit can also be the drawback, meaning that because we are distributing the workload over the entire body, uh, we're doing pull-ups and push-ups and that kind of thing. We, we get a huge metabolic boost because of that, but what also needs to be considered especially in your high-level runner, is that that also uh, lends itself to upper body hypertrophy, which m- most high-level performance-oriented runners will need to watch out for, right? If you're, if you're really trying to shave off every last second, uh, you have to be careful on, you know, carrying around too much upper body mass. Now, if you're a health 
fitness wellness person and you're, you know, you're in the, um, kind of good age group level and, and, uh, above or age group level and below, then I don't think it's that much of an issue. But if you're trying to set a, a world record, uh, in the 5k Metcon probably wouldn't be the thing that I would do just because the risk of putting on a little extra muscle mass in the upper extremity might not be worth it. I think there I would stick to running, maybe some controlled rowing, cycling, and then uh, more traditional weight room work like heavier squats, pushes, pulls, lunges, and some explosive work in the weight room where my risk of uh, upper body hypertrophy in particular is not as high. Now, speaking of risks, you know, that that's certainly a, a big risk to some runners who are really chasing after competitive times and, you know, every second counts. Are there other risks to this kind of Metcon workouts? And, and what I'm thinking about is more along the intensity uh, line of thought. You know, is there a risk of peaking too soon before your goal race if you're doing a lot of Metcon workouts? Because the intensity is fairly high. Right. So there's a there's a couple risks, actually. Uh going in line with that related to intensity. So one is one is peaking. One of the things that is difficult with these Metcons, difficult but not impossible, is how you periodize them. Because you're dealing with all these multiple modalities, uh, it really is pretty tricky to, to juggle them all uh, and how you distribute the load and how you uh, figure out what is the appropriate rest, rest to work ratios and the intensity level. A lot of times people do Metcons and there's really only one speed. You know, they, they go for the fastest time possible. They go for the highest number of reps possible. And that's great if that's your thing. Uh, and you're kind of a CrossFitter say, there's no problem with that. I think that's, uh, no problem with doing that occasionally. But if you're a runner, that can really throw a wrench in your training plan because we're essentially throwing in uh, training variables, which are slightly intangible. We can't necessarily account for them in the same way that we could say total mileage or time in a certain heart rate zone. Um, the, dis the distribution of workload is a little bit hard to quantify and that makes it harder to put into the overall training plan uh, unless, of course, you did the same Metcon week after week, and then you could kind of periodize it a little bit better, right? If you did the same Metcon uh, for, say, four weeks straight, and you just kind of ramped up the intensity gradually or changed the distribution of the workload a little bit, added a little bit rest or removed rest or made the duration of intervals longer, then you could get away with it. But if it were just very haphazard, which is how a lot of people use Metcons, uh, in the fitness community, they just do them for fitness. No problem in doing it there haphazardly or kind of chaotically. But if you're if you're training for a very specific goal, uh, I think there's a better way to do it. So uh, the other problem with the intensity that, that I have found is that some people, uh, because they look at these Metcons as uh, pedal to the metal or nothing – they're essentially a competitive outlet that things can get sloppy, ugly. And if you're not prepared for that, uh, the likelihood for injury goes up there as well, right? So if we're only doing one Metcon a week and we happen to be switching up that Metcon every week and doing a new exercise protocol, new exercise selection every week in that once a week Metcon, 
your exposure to these different exercises is going to be highly varied, which can have some value, but also increases the likelihood for acute injuries and uh, adaptation to the stress, right? The human body adapts to stress when it's repeated. If we just overload the body one time with a high stress level, that's a higher risk than it is potential reward. So these are the things that I was kind of pointing out when I, in the beginning when I was saying there's a lot of things that you would need to juggle if you were going to put them into the training, a Metcon, into the training plan of a high-performance runner. Uh, it can definitely be done. It can definitely be done. And at certain points of the year, for example, the G general prep phase or the furthest away from your, your uh, most important race of the year, perfectly fine and probably highly advisable to include these types of things in there. These are to be considered a general form of training. And over time, as we approach our most important race of the year, training needs to get more and more specific. But if early on in the year, that's our only time when we can be general with the training. So if we can find ways to be more general with the training in terms of the modality of training, but still get a very similar physiological effect, that's a that's a win-win as long as we control the potential potential risks and ramp up the exposure just like a runner should do during run training. You know, I think that if I were to drive home one point here with regards to Metcon to for runners is that they should apply the same training principles that they use in their run training to their metabolic conditioning training. So no one would no one in, would intelligently go out and run a uh, all out 5k or all out even 100 meters right you'd, you'd probably expect to get hurt if you had never trained but a lot of people go, jump into these metcons and they give a full effort without having adequate preparation for them the human body is wonderful at adapting to stress if you give it time to adapt to that stress it's going to see a lot of great benefits uh and really just treat it treat it similar similarly to how we would treat our run training progressive overload start start more general add intensity uh, add volume if you can um, you know and listen to your body don't just treat it like a race every single day that's good advice and I'm, I'm glad you uh included that caveat that it's not something that might someone might intelligently try to do <laughs> nevertheless it still might be done um i'm glad you brought up the idea of periodization here mike because i think when folks think about anything besides their sport specific training anything besides their running all of these exercise science principles kind of go out the window so there's no progressive overload there's no periodization um and and, and even with strength training or metcon workouts if you want to get as much out of it as possible it's a great idea to periodize this within your training cycle now can, can we go into this just on a little bit of detail here because i'd love to know how would you think about periodizing a metcon workout is it as simple as you know potentially longer and easier at, at the beginning phase of the training cycle maybe you're in the base phase of training and then as you get closer to your main competition it's these workouts are getting shorter and harder or is it more complex than that i think it is a little more complex than that i think that's a a good basic template to work off of. 
Uh, but even there, you have to consider the fact that if we got short and intense, especially if we did not have exposure to the exercises or modes of training prior to that, that short and intense uh, with too high of a variability is going to increase the likelihood for injury and maladaptation. So that would that would work okay if the person had if it was a progression of a similar workout or similar exercise selection. Um, and then only up into a certain point, you know, I think if you're only doing a Metcon once a week and you went and you, even if you did make it the same exact Metcon or same two to three exercises every single week and just change the, uh, say the, the rest interval between, uh, rounds and, uh, you, you increase the intensity by just doing more work. I think you still run into a couple problems there because the likelihood for soreness actually goes up. You know, in, in traditional best practices for tapering, typically what we do is we increase or maintain intensity while reducing volume dramatically. But the thing with Metcons is often that volume or the density of work oftentimes increases. So for example, in a lot of Metcons, you're actually doing the same amount of work in a shorter period of time. So you're increasing both the intensity and the density of that session. And that would kind of fall outside of what we might wanna do with our tapering period. That's where it gets a little bit trickier to control things. Um, you know, I, if it were me, I probably wouldn't do Metcons in my late stage of at least not all out Metcons in my late stage, uh, tapering period. I probably would remove them, you know, two weeks out and then stick to traditional weight training, uh, and focus on my run training. Good. I, I think that's really helpful in terms of understanding, um, you know, where to put these in your training cycle, how to approach them from a, a big macro level. Um, one of the things that I wanted to ask you too, Mike, was, you know, okay, let's say a runner, um, you know, not necessarily a uh, world record chaser, you know, someone, you know, like me, a recreational runner, we want to incorporate some of these Metcon workouts into our schedule, maybe once a week. Uh, would you recommend that type of recreational runner once a week to replace either a, a, a distance run or a faster workout with one of these Metcon workouts? Or do you think it's beneficial to, um, you know, do this after an easy run? Uh, I, I guess what I'm asking is programming and scheduling. How do you put this into a, a, a weekly schedule in such a way that it's intelligent and works towards the, the athlete's goals? So there's really a lot of ways you could do it, but I think if I were to kind of really tell you how I would do it, what I'd do would be uh, in, I would inc I would actually match up my Metcons with my interval track work. So that sounds like it might be a little bit of an overload, and you'd ha certainly have to balance things out a little bit. But what I like to do is train hard on the, my hard training days and train easy on my easy training days. If we were to put the Metcon on an easy running day, it would negatively impact our ability to run hard on our hard running days. And we should never lose sight of the fact that the running workouts are the thing that's going to be the most impactful at making us better. It's the most specific thing that we can do. 
So we, we to some extent, want to keep that sacred. Uh, we don't want to... We don't want to reduce our ability to recover for the subsequent run session. So I like to make my hard days hard and my easy days easy. Uh, in, when I set up my training plan, whether it's for a sprinter, jumper, or now I have a middle distance runner, I'm always looking for polarity of training, meaning you can easily tell what the, what are the hard days and you can easily tell what are the easy days. Now, the easy days... Uh, that perspective is somewhat from a, uh, you know, from one from one uh, viewpoint. For example, but you know, my hard days might be hard on one metabolic pathway, and my easy days might actually be uh, hard on a hard on another metabolic pathway, but easier on the metabolic pathway that I trained the day before. So really, there just needs to be a clear distinction, I think, and a polarity that we're not training the same thing, the same muscles, the same energetic pathways at the same intensities day after day after day. That's where I think you get into some some issues. I think we need to have some alternation of not only the intensities and volumes, but also the means and the methods of the training. Right, of course, that's important. Um, you know, the, the when I think about this, I'm, I'm always worried about athletes hurting themselves with, uh, you know, going too hard, doing uh, too high of a volume of certain exercises, even something as simple as a, as a push-up. Um, what kind of warm up do you recommend for these kinds of workouts? If for runners, is it is it a couple miles of easy running to warm up, or or is it more of a full body uh, type of a warm up that's going to you know work their their upper body as well? So the a couple miles of running would be appropriate, but then I think you do need to get into a more specific uh, warm up for the metcon that the person was going to take on. I wouldn't say that you want to take a five mile run and then hop right into a Metcon that's going to involve a lot of pull-ups and push-ups and that kind of thing because your shoulder joints just simply not going to be ready. Uh, so we need to have some form of specific warm-up before any workout, whether that's running or otherwise. Um, and certainly the case when we're going from an activity that is almost exclusively lower extremity, like running or cycling, into something that might be highly dependent on upper extremity uh, like these Metcon workouts oftentimes are. And the shoulder joint in particular is very uh, somewhat delicate. You know, the, the range of motion that we have at the shoulder joint comes at a cost, and that's stability. Uh, we, we can move our shoulder through an incredible range of motion, um, but part of the reason that we can do that is relative to many other joints in the body, inherently unstable. So, not warming up the shoulder joint and then going and doing a ton of pull-ups uh, or even push-ups might be asking for an injury, whether that's, uh, you know, patella ten uh, excuse me, uh, elbow tendonitis or slap tear in the shoulder or, or whatever else. So we need to make sure that the person is turned on and ready to go uh, for the specific Metcon that they're going to do. Now, typically with the strength coaches that I've spoken to, a lot of the warm up is simply doing the exercises that you plan to do in the workout itself, but uh, lower volume and, you know, if it's weighted, uh, of course, with a lot uh, less weight. Is that kind of what you're saying here that, you know, if, for example, if you're going to be doing a lot of uh, pull-ups or push-ups or exercises that work the shoulder, that it's beneficial to do some exercises that work the shoulder as part of the warm-up as well. 
That's right. So my general recommendations for the warm-up would apply no matter what we're doing, and that is starting low intensity, going to higher intensity, uh, but also moving from general to specific tasks. So with my sprinters, for example, you you can't really tell when the warm-up ends and the sprint session begins because it's probably preceded by some pretty fast buildups, which to the naked eye might actually look like the person is sprinting. So in the case of a Metcon, yes, a, a couple mile run would be an appropriate general warm-up to r- raise core body temperature. But if the Metcon workout required the person to do sets of 20 pull-ups at a time, uh, we would want to make sure that the shoulder girdle is appropriately warmed up. So that might be starting with some ring rows and then going into some easy pull-ups, perhaps some assisted pull-ups if the person wasn't all that strong, and then eventually doing some some full pull-ups to make sure that we're, we're fully ready to go rather than just hopping in uh, unprepared to the actual, for the actual task. So just because you're sweating doesn't necessarily mean that you're fully prepared to go. That's really just you know, half or less than half of the picture or purpose of the warm-up. We need to make sure that the we are prepared for the specific movement patterns that are going to be demanded of the body. I love how we're talking about specificity, even as it applies to the warm-up. And uh, for runners, I think it's always very beneficial to hear simply that, you know, the specificity is one of these principles that applies to so many forms of exercise. It doesn't matter if it's your track workouts or uh, your warm-up or strength training. And uh, I, I love that you're reaffirming that here. Um, now, speaking of strength training and, and all these movements that we're, we're talking about, I want to transition to talking about lifting uh, with free weights versus lifting with machines. And, you know, this is a loaded topic. I think a lot of folks get very passionate about whether machines are a complete waste of time or are an acceptable, approachable way to build strength. And, you know, I I do think the answer is somewhere in the middle. And uh, I'd love to hear uh, your your thoughts on this and, and the nuance between, you know, when machines might be appropriate, when free weights might be appropriate. Um, so how do you think about this issue of, of machines versus free weights in the gym? So this is a great question. And uh, I'm going to start off by start off on one side of the continuum and then and then uh, hopefully take you on a little bit more nuanced uh, explanation of my thoughts here. Take us for a journey, Mike. So in my facility, we don't have any machines other than uh, some flywheel devices, some flywheel inertial resistance devices. We have 45 barbells. We have about, uh, you know, two sets of dumbbells. We have, you know, six sets of kettlebells. We have uh, tens of thousands of pounds of bumper plates. There are... practically no machines whatsoever in the facility other than perhaps some bicycles, some rowing machines, and these four flywheel devices. Uh, If someone just walked into the facility, they would say, oh, you are a hardcore free weight kind of guy. And that's not, the answer is not as simple as that for me. Uh, I will say that I travel a lot. And when I'm on the road, uh, machines are are a uh, guilty pleasure of mine. I like to I like to go into the hotel weight room or find a health club and and use machines sometimes. Uh, 
So bringing this back to center, what I'd say is that while many people think that free weights are vastly superior, I think that mindset is uh, a little overconfident. The re- there's actually been a decent bit of research on the subject over the past couple of years. And while there are areas where free weights certainly win out in terms of their training stimulus, in particular for athletes, there are many positives for resistance training machines in some cases where the machines are equivalent and in in some cases even superior to uh, the benefits that you might see from uh, free weights. So in my opinion, it's really not a matter of either or. It's just picking the right exercise selection uh, for your activity. For example, uh, you know, I think if you were to say, what's better, a, uh, a bar, a, a barbell back squat or a leg press, my answer would be, it depends, you know, what, what's the person's mobility like, uh, do they have any lower, lower back issues? Can we, uh, axially load and expect them to see, expect them to preserve good movement patterns? Can we load appropriately? Um, Because if you can't do any of those things, then maybe the leg press is actually a better option and you can get really, really strong on a leg press in the lower extremity. So there is a time and a place for machines. I don't think it has to be an either or. I think really when I look at machines, I'm more so thinking of them as as a mode of training. And really, I think mode of training is important, but they're kind of a very closely related mode of training to free weights. You know, you lose some of the multiplanar aspect of free weights, which certainly would seem to have some carryover to sport performance. But the research isn't super conclusive on that. Um, You know, I think people think it's as simple as, oh, barbell or dumbbell can move in free space and that's going to have great carryover to, uh, you know, sp- the sporting world where we're not confined to, to one dimension or two dimensions. But the research evidence isn't crystal clear on that. That that, that there's a that there's a super clear advantage. For me, as a uh, facility owner, I think that there's probably some benefit. Uh, but you know, at the end of the day, I think a, a big reason why I would choose. Uh, free weights over, over machines is that they're much more universal. For example, if I were to replace what I can do with a barbell and a set of dumbbells with machines, it would cost me 10 times as much space and 20 times as much budget. So, you know, if you're looking for a home gym, what do you get? A barbell, a couple kettlebells, some dumbbells. If you were at a gym that had everything out in front of you, machines and free weights, I think it's much less of an issue of one being better than the other. I, I don't think it's as simple as that. You know, so it's kind of a, it's a contrived argument that doesn't have a lot of substantiation in the research evidence. <laughs> I'm glad you, I'm glad you went over that. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's uh, an issue that gets runners, you know, really, 
<clears throat> really, really jacked up sometimes because they think that they're not getting any benefit on machines, uh, where I think it's, it's is much more of a, uh, a nuanced discussion. And you did mention that there are some scenarios where machines can all actually be a superior training method compared to, say, for example, free weights. What are some of those scenarios? When ba- anytime balance is compromised, uh, it limits our ability to apply force. So inherent in some free weight exercises is the necessity for balance. So if, for example, our objective is to develop strength, maximal strength, and we were we wanted to do things like single leg exercises, well, in the free weight world, we're going to be doing things like single leg squats, maybe walking lunges, uh, rear foot elevated split squats, uh, step ups. And in all those cases, balance may actually be the limiter before we can truly tax our ability to express force. With machine training, if we were to look at machine equivalents, say we go on a leg press machine and we do a single leg leg press, zero balance involved, we are able to solely work on maximal strength there. Uh, same thing would hold true on a Smith machine. You know, people think about the Smith machine and they say, oh, that's that's not a real squat or that's not a real bench press. And that's not really true. It's just a different version of a similar movement pattern. Now, would I choose to buy a Smith machine versus a squat rack, uh, a free weight squat rack? No, I wouldn't. But I also uh, wouldn't, if I had a Smith machine, I, I might find places to use it, right? If I, uh, there, there's a great, great, uh, exercise that is used by some some throwers, especially European throwers. Think shot putters, discus throwers, that kind of thing. Uh, even American football pra- players could benefit from this. Imagine doing a bench press where you actually throw the barbell into the air. Now, if you're on a Smith machine, that's reasonably safe. You could even you could even set the catches on the Smith machine to be able to do that. So we can be maximally explosive on the Smith machine, literally throw the, the barbell into the air. It would guide along the track. It wouldn't go all over the place with the potential of landing on your head. We could set the safety catches up so that it could conceivably catch before it hit you, even if you did miss the catch. Uh, and it'd be reasonably safe. You know, you're not going to hurt yourself on that. We're going to limit or mitigate any risk that we have. If we were to try to do that with an actual barbell, though, that would be – a, a death or a crushed skull at best best uh, <laughs> waiting to happen. So, and there is a plenty of benefit to those full type, full release type of ac- activities, whether it's a jump squat or a barbell throw and certain ones like the barbell throw, you just simply wouldn't want to replicate with a barbell, but you, you could conceivably do it with a, a Smith machine. Every exercise is a little bit different. You know, some of the exercises that you'd see on machines are, incredibly contrived and and not uh not super super relevant to most human movements um i think i'm thinking of things like the adductor machine and adductor machine where the girls sit around and try to train their inner thigh Uh, those types of movements are not things that really naturally occur in human movement patterns but even then if you did want to kind of isolate a muscle I could see using one of those machines. Maybe someone's coming back from an adductor tear and they wanted to specifically target adductor strength. Well, that might be a useful 
uh, useful exercises that you couldn't you couldn't easily replicate with free weights. You could do it, but you'd have to get a little creative. So you mentioned a few minutes ago force production, and uh, this is an interesting topic for me because you know when I think about strength training for runners. I think about one of the big goals as the ability to produce more force so that when you're running, um, you know, no matter the distance, you can run faster. Uh, Are lifting on machines, how do you think about force production as opposed to, um, you know, when when you're lifting on a machine compared with free weights where you're able to do some some more uh, power movements, say, for example, uh, an Olympic lift, like a a power clean, for example, is is force production something that is you're not going to get as strong of, of that kind of a stimulus with machines compared with free weights? No, I don't think it's as simple as saying that. I think you could really get a a huge strength stimulus on a machine like a leg press. And there are some some really cool leg press machines out there. I'm not talking about your ones that you might see in your uh, typical health club or gym. But there are some leg presses that allow you to do things like modulate the weight so it has a, a larger eccentric overload and then weight releases at the bottom. It's either some kind of electromagnetic resistance or some kind of pneumatic resistance. Those are things you just simply can't replicate with mass-based loading. Um, and, and you could really go super hard on those uh, and, and really get a huge strength and power stimulus. Even if you didn't have the luxury of having this super, super expensive equipment, which is typically just in the domain of uh, you know super high-end private sector or pro clubs – is you could still use some machines and train really, really hard. I think the thing would be if, you're, if your objective is training for maximizing force output, maximum strength, maximum power, that we would want to choose exercises uh, similar to what we would choose with free weights. So if, for example, I didn't want to or couldn't do barbell back squats, well, can I do a hack squat, um, a machine hack squat? Can I, if I can't do that, can I do a 45 degree leg press? Um, you know, if I can't do a dumbbell bench press, can I do a machine chest press rather than going to the machines and doing things like neck extensions and, uh, adductor machine and bicep curls and tricep extensions, those isolation type exercises have a time and a place. But if our goal is for producing a a stimulus that will result in an athletic transfer to performance and maximizing strength and power, we need to make our exercise selection based around parameters that are going to be pretty similar, whether we are in the free weight, dealing with free weights or machines. And it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, is it fair to say that uh, if you don't have any restrictions on your health or your mobility, then free weights might be uh, beneficial or preferable? Um, but, you know, if all you have is machines or, you know, if you have some certain limitations, then machines are a perfectly fine substitution. Is that kind of a fair summary of our conversation on this? Yeah, I think I think that's a a good summary. I would I would even go so far as to say that personal preference uh, might be something you want to take into account. There's some people who just simply do not like a barbell, 
And if that disdain for the barbell is going to limit the intent that they bring to the training session, then I would say it's probably better for them to use a machine and get after it and, and give full intent. Um, if you know they're, they're intimidated by working out in a gym with guys much bigger or stronger than them, um, and, and they'll work out more frequently or more often where there's machines, then that personal preference shouldn't be ignored, I think. Uh, I, would, I would just say my personal preference for athletic development would be slightly towards free weights. Uh, but if I had every tool imaginable, I would certainly use machines at certain points of the year and they would be used interchangeably. You know, I think there was certain, there's uh, a good substitute for every, free, with a machine for every free weight exercise you might choose to do. Well, I'm glad you talked about personal preference because I have found that while I don't really enjoy strength training too much, I'm such a typical runner, <laughs> but I actually really like working with kettlebells. And I found that uh, just by buying a couple kettlebells, I can do all kinds of different workouts at home. And it's something that I will actually be more consistent with. And I, I, I'm getting the Mike Young stamp of approval for that. So I'm, <laughs> I'm very happy about that. Oh, good. <laughs> Well, Mike, this was really helpful uh, for me. I, I always learn uh, so much from talking to you, and, and no doubt our listeners will as well. Thanks so much for being here and sharing all of your expertise. Thank you. No problem. Now, I, I know too, Mike, that you share a lot of your work online, and uh, I'd love to know what's what's coming up for you, what's next in, in the pipeline for you, and also uh, if our listeners want to uh, follow along with your work or get more involved in it, where can we go online for that? Sure. So I'm, I'm pretty active on Twitter. Uh, at Mike Young is my Twitter handle. Um, on on our my company's social media channel is where I also put out a lot of information. That would be uh, at Athletic Lab on both Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. I've got a couple speaking engagements coming up. That uh, one in the UK. Uh, it's a long-term athletic development one, but we talk a lot about running actually in that one. I'll be speaking about running, uh, strength training for running, actually at the uh, Collegiate Strength Coaches Association meeting, as well as the uh, UK Strength Coaches Association uh, meeting in uh, England in June. Um, yeah, I'd love to share. Also have a couple websites, EliteTrack.com, which has a, quite a few great coaches, active blog, forum, and articles, for all for free on there. And uh, fit for football, which tends to be a little bit more geared towards team sports. Well, great, Mike. There's so many resources there. I hope our listeners uh, check everything out because uh, there's there's a lot to learn, and particularly from a performance perspective, uh, for someone who's more of a performance coach, a strength and conditioning coach, you just have so much to offer the running community. So, thank you so much. Thank you, Jason. Hi, it's Jason. One more time before you leave today, I hope you found my conversation with Mike helpful, interesting, and hopefully productive for your training. If you happen to complete a Metcon, shoot me an email and let me know how it goes for you. Finally, something that I like to say is that as your virtual coach, I want the best for you. I want you to get stronger, to have fewer injuries, and to race faster. My goal, after all, is to elevate the sport of running by elevating your running. And I don't think it's too much for you to hope for. I don't think you should settle for subpar training, and you certainly shouldn't settle for being chronically injured. And when it comes to strength training, you can lift just twice a week 
for an hour or less per workout and get all the benefits of lifting. Enhanced neuromuscular coordination for better form and running economy, stronger muscles and connective tissues that that are going to prevent more injuries, and improved ability to generate force quickly, which is power that's going to help you race a lot faster. Today, I want to show you exactly how to start lifting weights in a safe, running-specific way. Head on over to strengthrunning.com strength to let me know you're interested in the topic of lifting weights. I'll send you my best coaching advice, and we're going to dive deep into the type of lifting workouts that elite runners do, and I think you should too. So for the runner who's ready to take the next step with their training and see what they're truly capable of achieving, you won't want to miss this free email series. All you need to do is register at strengthrunning.com strength, and I'll send you the first lesson today. Thanks for being part of this running community and listening to the podcast today. Until next time.